Hello, lovely. I'm Salem. I'm Adiola. Welcome to Thrive Table, a storytelling podcast by two Nigerians to disrupt the stereotypes of the African millennial woman. Inspired by your best, Chinua Achebe, Fumilayo Ramsonkuti, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, Muhammad Gaddafi, Quentin Ziga, and Wangari Matai. Hi everyone, welcome to season three of the Drive Table Podcast. We are so excited to be back. Adiola, how are you doing? I'm great, I'm happy. Um, I guess, well, I hate the word great because it's superficial, but I'm okay. <laughs> That's good, yeah. I'm okay too. Um, and so this month, we are looking to explore diversity. And I guess what our country, Nigeria, can teach the world about diversity. And as a country that has so many different kingdoms and groups and cultural identifications of people living together and, and have been living together for over, you know, at least, at least 60 years functioning together as, as one. As Nigeria. As Nigeria, yeah. But even before that, like really not even functioning together, but like sharing geographical spaces and West Africa really as an entity and as a cultural identity. Um, there's so much that our region has learned from the diversity of people who don't worship the same God, who don't love the same way, who don't um, relate to uh, identities the same way, who think differently, who see the world differently, who have different paradigms. And I think that there's so much that the world can learn about diversity from people like that and from cultures like that. And so, yeah, Diola and I are going to have a conversation today around some of the strongest points of diversity that we have noticed and we have seen and we've studied and learned about as we are, have gotten more into our own identity, our own identities as Nigerians and as West Africans, and also being rooted in our own individual cultural identities, like me as Kalaba, Anang, Ibibio, and Adiola as Yoruba. Well, why are you erasing your evil side? <laughs> so my evil is like it's, it's my only my right arm is evil. I say that's my money making arm. Um, no, I think that my evil it's not a strong identity for me just because it is. You know, my, my father's mother was Igbo, and I think I only spent the first decade of my life with her. And, oh, wow. The you know, first decade, you know. Yeah, but also, like, she passed away before I could build, like, a really intense relationship with her. And so mm -hmm. I, she was the only point of connection, really. And her kids had been, like, points of connections that I've had to Igbo. And my dad speaks a little bit of Igbo, but it's just not an identity that I feel like it's mine. And it's also a majority identity which I feel I can swallow a lot of minority identities. So I'm always really cognizant of bringing out my minority identities, my minority identifying okay, identities. Because you love me, so much. Okay. Whatever. Okay. See, speaking from the Yoruba person, because you are majority identities. So um, I think it's, it's so interesting, even just this conversation with the point yeah. of diversity because you are a majority tribe Nigerian and I am like I belong to three tribes that are like really really minority tribes you know um people never know where I'm from when I say I'm Nigerian I am a majority kingdom Nigerian like true tribe from, <laughs> excuse me <laughs> I don't know what you're talking she, about she Adiola does not like the word tribe we just found out allegedly no, I like the word tribe in other settings, but when the word tribe is used for war, uh, for the countries of the global south or people that come from those countries, it basically, from my idea, understanding of the Western world, is to diminish their significance and their contribution. Mm -hmm. And like you can say, the Dutch kingdom, the belt, uh, the what is it called, the United Kingdom. God help us if it's United. <laughs> <laughs> But then if you say the Ashan, the Akans and the Ashanti kingdom, the Yoruba kingdom, the Bene kingdom, those are kingdoms. Those are the Congolese kingdom, the Congo kingdom. Those are kingdoms that exist before the existence of these European kingdoms, but they were being erased from the European narrative. And because most of us have had European education and 
culture and socialization, we've also learned to kind of ascribe to that and call our people a tribe when they're actually a kingdom. It's like the same in the United States with the first Americans, actually the original Americans being called tribes when they were actually kingdoms. Yeah. But how can you erase a kingdom? It sounds really like destructive and catastrophic when you say you erase a whole kingdom, right? So white people like to call it tribes. They're like, oh, those little tribes, you know? Mm. So for me, as a Yoruba person and with the impact of the Yoruba culture and the kingdom that exists, I would rather call my people a kingdom because it is a kingdom, it was a kingdom, it will forever be a kingdom. So we're not a tribe. Like, yes, in Nigeria, we're a tribe. I understand that concept. But since most of our listeners are also Westerners and people who are Western educated, I feel like it's also a good place to start on learning the language that we use. Yeah. uh, a lot of people that I look up to that I call ancestors and mentors, like Thomas Sankara, Martin Luther King, have always spoken about the danger of language and how language mm-hmm. is used to colonize us. Yeah, yeah. And I think when we do the word of decolonizing our mind, it's also impossible if we can't decolonize our language. And as someone who loves languages, who speak multiple languages and is very proud to want to learn more, I think I should be doing the job in the way I use language and my linguistic power to deconstruct a lot of narratives that are being created by Westerners. That's a really good point. And thank you for that that education. Um, it's even good for me to think about because I, I totally agree with everything you said, but I don't think I've ever had the language to express it in that way. And I think for someone who like belongs to a minority tribe that I don't think qualifies as a kingdom, you know, like I don't think that my people wherever um how were they governed before like the amalgamation of the british people how were the anan people governed did they have like council meetings yeah we had council but it was also very democratic so it was also a very Mm. democratically led process it was also like every so like in the anan community where i'm from um every family contributes someone into like the council of elders and then they take Mm -hmm. turns like the village chief comes from one of the four founding families that's rotated every year yeah so this is actually a good segue into what we wanted to discuss on the podcast today like around what what people what the entire universe and the world can learn from nigerian diversity and inclusion yeah and this is so funny because you said uh, you the Anak were governed in such a way that is so different from the way Yorubas were governed. Yeah, for yeah. Like Yorubas had kingdoms, and every kingdom, like they can literally be three kingdoms in the same city. <laughs> like literally, mm. like I come from Ibadan, and in Ibadan, the city was originated by people who left Ilefe. Some families left Ilefe, which is called the well, allegedly the origin of the Yoruba kingdom and Yoruba people generally. So they left Ilefe to create their own city and because they are mostly warriors and a whole family. So this is actually one of the, according to literature and also like asking my dad, one of the fewer Yoruba cities that had more than one royal family. Mm. So the families that left and created the city of Ibadan, they actually are now the family that govern Wow. Not just one family. Mm-hmm. Well, now technically with the Western way of governance, it's different. But there used to be at least, I think, five families or ten. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. So, Ibadan, we still have kings even till today. It's still a very great role and functional role. And the uh, royal families still exist. They always pick one. So, the Ifa oracle will pick which family is next. Mm. So, when you know the family that is next, the Ifa oracle will now bring all the people that, are, uh, that have the requirement to be kings to do the rituals and then consult the oracle and choose who will be the king until that person died. But if that person died, that doesn't mean that his son or his daughter will be the queen or the king. Mm. To be honest, I don't think they were queens. (laughs) (laughs) disparity. Yeah. And I also, it's really interesting because even as you say, like, I feel like Yoruba kingdoms were also, I mean, I don't feel, Yoruba kingdoms are also a lot more patriarchal than 
some of the kingdoms that I belong to, even. Mm. Um, and so it's always interesting to watch and navigate. Yeah, I always, mm, I always compare Yoruba to Igbos, the way they do, because I know Igbo cultures are also very patriarchal. But like within the Yoruba kingdom, the mother of the king have a very significant role to, mm -hmm. the, to like crowning the king. His Oloris, he had multiple wives before colonizers come in. <laughs> <laughs> So the kings will have multiple wives because it's the way also like people want to be connected to the king. Like if a rich noble family will be like, our daughter is coming of age, so you get to marry the king. And we give you the king, we give you to the king as a gift. So of course the first wife or how many they were before her will have to accept her, which of course I don't think they had any choice. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and I think that there's also like when we talk about um, non-monogamy and polygamy, uh, especially in Nigerian context, like there's always we always look at it, not we, me and you, but like in a general sense of we people look at it with, oh, well, but I would be jealous or but like, how can two people dwell together? Like, and it's yeah. really like. You know, my, my mom grew up um, in a poly... Not her parents weren't polygamous, but her grandparents were polygamous. And mm -hmm. she, you know, she has so many stories of, like, that meaning that you had multiple grandmothers. And yes, I grew up in a polygamous family. Like, my grand... I, I was raised by my grandparents and both of... Uh, well, not... My grandmother didn't have multiple husbands. I wish. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, but that's my, a Calabar thing. In Calabar, like, women actually have multiple husbands. Yes, I remember that. And I was always like, why was I born into this kingdom? And I remember, wow, and you're like, you're Yoruba. <laughs> yeah, and so it's so, it's so interesting, like, uh, with our topic being diversity, that there are so many ways to be Nigerian. Like, I was born and raised in, like, Calabar matriarchy. So, like, mm -hmm. women leaders, women rulers, women marrying multiple husbands, matrilineal systems of governance where um, lineage and all the, like, family property and family name go to the mother's side rather than the father's side like that That's is amazing. you know that in the same country in the same country the same and place. even like an hour away was completely different an hour away was a completely different tribe with a completely different way of doing things and so even though i was anang like my dad's side is anang my mom's side is ibibio growing up in calabar was just an immersive experience into a completely different tribe and so I guess that kind of led me into wanting to talk about this myth of cultural homogeneity because I think mm -hmm. when people think about Nigerians or Africans um, or black people, like there tends to be this thing that is ascribed uh, around us all having the same cultures and also all having we the same don't. cultural identities and, yeah. um, and a desire to fit into one cultural identity, especially if you don't see your cultural identity represented in like a large way. Um, but I think that there is such a, like, we, we need to have more conversations around the fact that cultural homogeneity is a myth. No one is ever, there's no sameness about a particular culture. Yeah, I think it's the internet age also that has given us the opportunity to speak up. But also without the internet, there is this cultural identity for black people is the American black people culture. Yeah. It's the American culture, actually, to be honest. So American culture is seen as the black culture and the black culture is what everybody expected of every black person. And you and Miai were just like, well, actually. <laughs> yeah, my, I mean, I, my experience with blackness is in some ways similar to African-American blackness, but very... It, very different from just other ways of being black, you know? And and in Yeah, and this is the like I feel like also this is the bad well, the I feel like the slippery slope with this conversation is people think you're trying to say you're not black and that's not the point. You're just saying that I can see myself that I'm black, but the way I perform my blackness is really different due to the cultural values and due to the way that I have been raised and socialized and I think a lot of people say that but people don't want to hear it because we live on the call out culture and pointing out fingers to like oh she says she's not black or she says she's better than us there is no reason for that to exist like nobody's better than anybody I guess but what we're saying is me and Salem literally holding the same green passports <laughs> and we have completely different reason, like different ways of being and it's not completely different like, I think that 
also with that, you know, there are common there are common Nigerian experiences, right? And yeah, there are common the common Nigerian experience is also like very superficial. When you go to the roots of the roots of things, like I was telling you, you have come from a matriarchal family. I was raised in a home where my grandfather had four wives and that is my reality like that is what i see on the daily and my father have multiple have multiple siblings from other women and they all grew up together and now when i tell people my uncle's here my uncle there they're like how many uncles do you have but when someone have four wives you get to have a lot of uncles <laughs> a lot of uncles uh-huh and and even with me like my family is so small compared to yours like it's a big family but it's still like it is still really small compared to yours you know and and so my experience with large families, like large grandparents and the, the ways that we navigate closeness towards our families um, were largely different because I wasn't like even largely different from my cousins who were raised in the village versus me who was raised more in a city, you know. And so my cousins who were raised in a village just are a lot more open um, to family. And I, there's actually like a really big um similarity between like my cousins raising the village and like some of my african-american friends here in the ways that they do family which is also really different from the ways that i do family because i was raised in a nigerian city and i just didn't get to be around my family a lot you know and so like even the ways that we do family and we perform and we show up to spaces with other people the ways that we process either collectively or individually um like i i'm such an individual processor because of my you know because of my experiences yeah. growing up in and my that's, space that's like also i think one of the re- uh points that we were making together about like cultural diversity in blackness mm-hmm. but since we're going to be focusing on nigeria i think that's also one thing that even the black community which i normally just don't get it when people say black community which black do you mean like the european black people or the african black people or the continental america black people right so i think this is also something maybe that the world can learn diversity from Nigeria, but black people globally can also learn diversity from Nigeria. Like literally, I have met people who are from Barbados speak Yoruba to me and I'll be like, whoa. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I came to study in the UK, my year abroad, the first person that I met, who is actually now one of my best friends, her name is like Olufemi. So I'm just like, oh, wow, finally. A Yoruba person because one you know white South African came to me and be like oh finally an African and I just look at him like please move <laughs> because I know contrary to popular belief I don't believe that he's African and I will stand by my points he's not African so I realized that I spoke Yoruba to her so easily and she just looks at me like who is this person uh-huh. because she's from Benin Republic the country, <laughs> not the city. And she doesn't understand Yoruba. Mm-hmm. She have a Yoruba name. And actually, we get. I keep telling her, like, I I literally told her the entire year that you're Yoruba. Call your family, ask them. Because it's not possible. Like, she have the full name, Olufemi. I'm like, it's not possible for you to have a Yoruba name and last name. And because you speak French, doesn't mean that you're not Yoruba. And she was just like, oh, please, leave it. So we became very good friends until recently... Three years ago, she was talking to her mom about how we met and stuff. And her mom was like, well, actually, our families are Yoruba. They came because they were traders and they settled here. Uh. And that's one thing, like the beauty of how we call this West African identity that there are so many things that she will look at me and be like, you this Yoruba demon. And that's just... a a joke right Mm -hmm. because even though you will expect that because we have like names that are yoruba obvious yoruba names that obviously we all have the same identity we don't like the way we socialize and talk to each other and relate to each other is really different so imagine even people from the same supposedly tribe that are supposed to have the same cultural values because most Yoruba people kind of have a cultural value that we call like home training is never going to be the same. And those things, because I believe like as a, in anthropology and sociologists believe that 
you build who you are from your home. Like your home is the first social experiment that you have. So if in the home, me and you have different environments and stimuluses, of course the way we're going to relate and perform when we go outside is also very different. And I think that's one thing that black people don't want to talk about when we talk about blackness. We saw oh, you're black, then you must all love hip-hop and soul food and play basketball. And, and I'm just like, no, we don't. Not everybody have access to that. But like, see the intersection of class and race. Like, if this person doesn't have access to basketball. Yeah, you know, girl, I think this is, this is always a sore topic of conversation to have because I think what is triggering for folks is that in saying that my black identity or is different from your black identity, it often feels like a um, disapproval or like a turning away of other folks' black identities. And I think that like the narrative and the lens through which most Nigerians see identity is maybe a more health healthy lens to look at identity in the sense of which you are Yoruba, I will never be Yoruba. You know? I even if I marry even if I marry. Do you hear? Do you hear me? Do you hear me? You know, but, but it's, you know, like there's this recognition that like you can hold your own cultural identity. This is what it means for you to be Nigerian. I can respect that. I can appreciate that. I can validate that. But I, it's not the same for me. And you meet me halfway on the things that are like our common ground. Like I think that, for instance, like music and dancing and rhythm, that is a common black experience, you know, regardless of where you are, like. I don't know what it is about like rhythm and dancing and it doesn't mean like everyone is out here. I've met black people who don't know how to dance. No, but I don't think it's like knowing how. I think it's just the sense of which like it does something to you. So it's not like, it's not even like, it's a way, it's a a language that we're really connected Mm -hmm. with. Like rhythm, language, dancing is a language that connects us to the world. Regardless of where you are, like it doesn't mean that you're the best at it, that you know how to sing, you know how to shake, you know how to twerk, right? It just means that like, when music comes on, you, you, this is a language that you recognize and identify. When dance comes, like dance is also a way to connect. Like you, you can move your body in really cool ways. Like, and it's not something you have to learn. It's not something you have to like um, even try to do. It's just something that comes. And I think that that is something that is common for blackness. But that looks different for me as a Calabar person. Like our dances are very specific to Calabar people. That like if you're not, and they evoke a certain thing. You know, like the ways that Yoruba people show up and, and, and you know, and there, there are spaces where we meet commonly. But I think even with that, we bring a lot of our different cultural backgrounds and even within cultures, like our own family identities and the ways that our family related to certain things to it. And that's nothing to be ashamed of. Like, it's nothing for me to say, um, this is yours, but it's not mine. And that's OK. And for me to say this is mine, but it's not yours. You know, and there is a huge respect for like, okay, this is what these are the ways that I choose to reflect this identity. These are the ways that somebody else from my tribe would choose to reflect these identities, but I don't choose to reflect those identities in that way. Um, But that doesn't mean that I now assume that everyone who is Nigerian should reflect that identity in this way. Like, it doesn't mean that I now hold them to that standard. I totally see, and I know, and I I really hope that people will listen once and for all to this like I feel like whenever this conversation has been hard online it just really breaks my heart because I'm like no nobody is saying they're better like people are not literally saying that their identity or the way they perform it is better they're just saying it's different yeah it's just it's just different like somebody can wear an ashoke and be Yoruba and it means something completely different from somebody who wears an ashoke and it's Igbo yeah you know and and it doesn't and i think as as well, you people don't wear shirky please <laughs> i'm just using the yoruba word so you know that what i'm talking about because you yoruba people don't know what other people are referring to if it's not your language because you're a majority nigerian 
Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> you actually brought the entire tree. The entire, the entire Iroko tree, okay? <laughs> the entire Iroko tree. Um, but oh, that's so funny. Yeah, <laughs> and also we were talking about this uh, with uh, with I think with you also like in terms of homogeneity of identity mm-hmm. that when people think about Nigeria they literally think Afrobeats whiskey and Yoruba demons which are now rebranded and calling themselves Sweet Boys Association. <laughs> if they don't just come and get out of it, I love Fowls. Okay, Fowls could get it. Fowls could get it. Okay, but I just okay. Um, Somebody said something on Twitter that really made me laugh so hard. It says the Sweet Boy Association is just an upgraded version of Yoruba Demons. It, it's a rebrand. It's a rebrand of Yoruba Demons. It's it's just a rebrand because now the global world has caught on to Yoruba Demons. So they're like, okay, we need to like rebrand. But the Lord will lead me far away from Yoruba demons in this year of our Lord, 2019, that is coming forth. Good luck with that one. The Lord will lead me away from Yoruba demons. Amen. <laughs> but yeah. You light your candle after this podcast. I share my sage, everything. I, I will cleanse myself. <laughs> yeah, so let's get back to the topic. So we, we discuss about like lack of homogeneity. Yeah, and there's no homogeneity of identity. There's no and, homogeneity, and and I think just with what you said that that's important because what that leads to is the erasure of certain identities, like like mine. All three of my identities are small, but they're also really big ways of being Nigerian within my community. You know, their their whole languages, their entire ways of being, their entire cultural norms. There, there's so much to being Nigerian within like within each of those three identities or within each of those three culture cultural groups that are mine there's so many yeah. things that I don't even know like there's so many gods there's so many food things there's so many like customs and norms that are so big so that when we yeah. when we elevate being good thing that Nigeria does with that is the Nigerian youth service people yeah. who've done it said that every identity and culture mostly the minority ones are actually being represented and learned by everyone yeah so you get to see like how people who are ibibio perform their significant rituals and i think that's a beautiful thing i'm not going to do that thing (laughs) i'm just saying it's beautiful yeah but i do not have nine months of no money I don't even think they're getting paid, but I don't have free. They get paid. They get paid, but it's nothing. How much? (laughs) It's nothing, but just know that the federal government of Nigeria will not make you work for free. Allegedly. Um, I like this. Allegedly. No, you do get paid, but it's, it's just not enough. Um, I met a girl who did it. She he's doing her master's here, and she went back home after her first degree, and she did it, and she was like, it was amazing, but it was also terrible at the same time. And I think a lot of my cousins, we've all agreed not to do it, which actually I think I'm scared because it means that we can't run for government. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll do it. <laughs> we'll we'll change that law before it's time. It's okay. Okay, good. To well, see in Nigeria, anything is possible. Anything is possible. We'll make it a recommendation, not a requirement. I feel that that's a I good, good this policy language. Yeah, good, good little policy slip in there. Um, do you want to share like something else around diversity in Nigeria that you have noticed, Adiola? Yeah, so I I have uh, I'm from Southwest, so I'm Yoruba, and I've lived most of my life, well, most of my adult life not in Nigeria but I've lived some of my formative years in the northern part of Nigeria or traveling to the northern part of Nigeria for example Kano, Kaduna and basically the Hausa speaking part of Nigeria and I think it's the part that a lot of people don't get to see actually because Uh I don't know I don't know any Hausa person not in diaspora, yeah, not in diaspora. I mean. like yeah. In the diaspora, I don't see a lot of Hausa people, even though I've met people who are Hausa from other countries, because it's also a big tra- uh, kingdom, mm-hmm. I guess. I won't call them tribe. <laughs> and so what I've learned from that is, for example, the ability to coexist. You can quote me on this, but you can also, I understand that there was a war, that this, there was a civil war, 
and it started from the idea that because people move around, but also I think we can't blame the civil war on our ability, lack of ability to coexist. We have to blame it on British infrastructures and their magomago ways. So one of the things I've learned is Nigerians are the best people when it comes to respecting other cultures and other people without tolerating it's not tolerance mm. so for example in the uk they have this thing they call british values and tolerance is one of them and when i hear this word i just cringe because in nigeria you don't tolerate people you just learn to love them the way they are or leave them the way they are it's one of the two yeah like i was raised in a family where as i said before uh polygamous uh, people worship different gods, like literally 80% of my family are Muslim, Islam, Sunni, or, yeah, which one is the, uh, one of the two, anyway, the ones that's just very, like, the Yoruba kind of Muslim. Yoruba Muslims are just like, I just pray five times a day when I remember. <laughs> <laughs> I go to Hajj, at least my own family part of Yoruba Muslim, like, I go to mosque when I remember. My grandparents have two mosques in front of their houses, and, like, it's just like they went on Hajj. They're both Alaji and Alaja before they died. They, they, they. I literally grew up with them wearing the hijab, but it's also not like you have to wear the hijab every time if you want. It's just like, oh, you want to wear the hijab? Good for you. Okay. You don't want to wear the hijab? Good for you. Okay. As long as within my family, when I was growing up, I see people celebrating Eid, Ramadan, Christmas, Easter. Shogo uh, rituals. New and, Yam Festival. New oh. Yam Festival. Yes. The Google Festival. Uh, the Christian in my family will go to see the Baba, uh, the Ifa Oracle for consultation. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. The Muslim in my family will be doing, uh, I don't know what they call this in, in English. In Yoruba, it's basically Ila. So like my tribal marks, we'll have tribal marks. And if, if you get sick, they go to the Iyalagu, which is basically the herbalist that combines all the leaves together. Like my grandmother used to have like a whole big like ranch where we have different leaves. And if you have fever, you just go there. And this this is the same woman that will buy a flight to go to Saudi Arabia and pray at the Kaaba. And this is the same woman that will go into her garden and bring all of this and put it together and tell you like, so my whole great great founder, they used to do this and this and this and this. So what I've seen is the ability to merge all the religious belief the connection to their ancestry lineage even though the british try to strip them of that that believe just merge all of it together and my grandmother right she speaks uh, she spoke Aousa fluently so most of us most of my dad's fa uh, sisters and brother and uh, me and my sister speaks Aousa too because she teaches us Aousa and understand like what Aousa culture is how to greet people like if, if I see a Yoruba elder I will kneel down even in the UK like yesterday I was out and I met this man who's Yoruba and I literally kneel down for him and he looks at me like is she an alien <laughs> Because that's what I've learned. And like my uncles who have Igbo friends who are staying over, who like, because they're studying in the South, they live with my uncles and all of them just live in our house, teaching, trying to teach us Igbo because teaching us is a keyword. Trying is the best word. <laughs> but also like whenever there is a, uh, oh my God, or Gogoro Festival. Yes! Which is basically Palm Wine. Palm Wine Festival in their village. They Oh, so this is what I'm saying, the ability to just merge all of it together and make this beautiful mix of something new, like building something new. And I think if the world can take an example from Nigeria, that's one example. Like we really know how to collect our diversity of ideas and people and build something together. And you can see it when Nigeria goes to like the Olympics or any international events the way they collaborate everything from all the cultures into their outfits mm -hmm. into the way they move like the world cup i was looking at them wearing this normal senator clothing which is like very awusa that you're about trying to co-opt because mm. we're thieves <laughs> thank you for dragging your own people because <laughs> you know, people need to be dragged Seriously, like we're a major. We, I think we're the majority tribe, even though we're just eight states. 
Where's you're the majority in numbers because you, people, because you know why? Because Yoruba demons, they will seduce all the women, marry all the women, have all the children. Yoruba demons are actually a ploy to keep the Yoruba tribe alive. Mm-hmm. Literally use having the arguments of the Western mm. society who says Africans overpopulation is causing poverty. That is not the reason. It's not causing poverty. Just... It's not. I, I'm not again. I'm not even saying that because you, you know I'm not against it. I'm just saying that the reason why Yoruba demons exist is to be seductive so that they can trap people into having their babies so that they can keep growing so that they can keep yes, being the number one numbers wise they can literally switch out themselves into anything like mm. there's no yoruba people who can't switch out themselves into like anything mm. and i know from experience because i'm bored <laughs> see your face yeah, I'm just trash and dragging myself, but yeah, that that ability, the way like yeah. I just feel like if the world can learn how that is, and we need to write a manual about how Nigerians literally Lagos. Lagos is a micro, uh, microcosm of Nigeria. Like mm-hmm. in Lagos, everybody's speaking pidgin. We invented our own language because you know what? You're like, it's a bit to start learning Awusa and all of that because you have Awusa people who are like your gatesman, your driver, and then you have the Igbo chief who's selling you TV. He wants to sell you anything. The Igbo guy will sell you anything. It's true. It's sell, true. If he can sell you the soil you're working on, yeah, he will try it. It's so true. You have all of that people and then you have Lagos Lagosian who are Yoruba just trying to like and people from different part of Yoruba. Also the Yoruba kingdom have a lot of sub kingdoms like there are Egba, there are Ijebu, there are Ibadan, there are Oyo, there are Ife, there's so many people. So the only way for us to connect is actually like wait, let's create pigeon, which by the way I understand but I don't speak. But I feel like we create beauty. Like when Nigerians sit together and Put them in the same place, they'll create something. There's a Nigerian society in Athens, in Greece. They're creating something. And they will have the best parties when I'm just saying, when you create magic, you also have to celebrate it. So <laughs> Yeah, you know, and I think that like celebration is such a huge part of the Nigerian experience too. But it's also oh, like uh, we do yeah. it so differently depending on you know, I like don't think there's anybody in any part of this world who has been to an insurance party and tell you that they did not enjoy themselves. Yeah, and like, like where, where's the next one? Yeah, and you know that's what I mean about like there are so many things about that there there are things that we can come together on. There are parts that we meet right in the middle, even though like we hold on to these various niche parts of our identities as a cultural group that it may be like, okay, yeah. Like this Yoruba party, you know that everybody's going to do this and do this and do this. And they will be extra because Yoruba people are the most extra. And like, I don't have the emotional capacity to support like super extra people. But I can give it like an hour to two hours of my life and like really turn up for the Yoruba person, you know. And then I like go back to my own little corner of my epic loving world, you know. Like that's, I think that there's so much... There, there's an understanding that even though we call each other out and like make fun of each other, there's something beautiful about the ways that we collaborate. And even in that collaboration, even within... Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Smaller. Yeah. Yeah. And I was going to say like something else that really sticks out to me even as we we're talking is um, there's like majority non-domination, you know? I think that even in tribes that are hella yes. large like Yoruba... And Hausa, to some extent, except Hausa and governance right now is a sore topic. So, like, don't really want to talk about it. But apart, like, I think outside well, that's of... That's a whole other topic. That's a whole other topic. But outside of, like, governance of the country, there's, like, this way in which majority people don't really seek to dominate um, certain mm-hmm. spaces. Even though, like, by sheer numbers alone... Let's talk about... Like, if we want to talk about the governance of the country, we also need to talk about, like, colonization and how that fits into the structure. Yeah, and I don't think we... Yeah, I don't think we want to talk about... want to talk about it? No, no. But I think that just outside of governance, like, because governance is kind of the the only area where there's, like, this majority domination. But outside of governance, um, in other spaces, even though by share numbers alone, certain tribes are larger than others, in the ways that we play together and like actually show up together, there is a real realization of like majority non-domination. Um, and so unlike in America where 
it's like okay white people are the majority and then like if you're in a white dominated space you feel like a kind of way if you're a black person if you're a person mm-hmm. of color if you're an immigrant if you're a latina um if you bring a, a various identities that are different from white into a white space it's very clear that you don't belong um i think being in like an, a yoruba dominated space you know even when people are speaking like a different language like you don't feel like you don't belong mm-hmm. you know like even if i'm hanging out with all yoruba people and they're like watching yeah. a yoruba like yeah. and they're intentionally excluding me like there is still a sense in which it's it feels a lot more gentle than me being in a white space as a black person or like the ways that latina people take up spaces in whiteness and i don't fully understand like what the causes of that are but i've just noticed that that's something that that is really interesting like even majority nigerians by sheer number alone don't dominate spaces i think i don't understand that and i actually used to say this but i don't even think i want to talk about this about how whiteness functions differently in the united states after being in atlanta for a month i realized that whiteness is really different in the united states and the way there are these white spaces like i grew up in a majority white place a white country and i don't feel alienated the way i felt in atlanta yeah when i walk into a white space in atlanta you know what i mean like yeah white neighborhood in atlanta i'm just like oh oh this is white yeah it's very clear it's very clear where you don't belong that's like yeah yeah they make it obvious to you that you do not belong here and i think that's one thing that doesn't exist in nigeria they're like you're nigerian yes you can be like literally when i when we travel a lot and when we lived in the Kano, i remember like you know that people speaking outside and they know that you're yoruba because it's obvious that you're yoruba and also obvious that they are outside but you're all nigerians and that's it yeah and they're not trying to dominate you you're not trying to dominate them and i think that's the most beautiful part even like in lagos when you go from neighborhood to neighborhood you hear people speak Hausa, you hear people speak evil you hear people speak Yoruba, but also you see the way they relate to each other it's just like it's just literally the way they used to just trading and getting things and having this transaction without trying to overcompensate or dominate or tell you that this is a white space only and this is a evil space only because even in governance like i feel like in governance there is certain level to representation in terms of like the parliament well the senate and the house of representatives because every state get a representation but when it comes to the cabinet that's when the things are fucked up because the president chooses what he wants and you can't give a guideline to that so i think that's where things just fall apart yeah within all your states we have 36 local governments i'm not sure if this is true don't quote me <laughs> but we have like multiple local government there are like a lot but the way the state functions is there is also a representation of each local government or the state's house of representation and i think that is a beautiful way to work politically if things could work and if nigeria works the structures are beautiful yeah like every neighborhood get a representation in the house of representation and then those people make the legislation for the state and that's just beautiful because every neighborhood you've elected your council person your local government representative and you know what your deals are and you send them there and that's just how things work but i also think that with that like the problem is when we create structures that are homogenous to fit people that are not homogenous, you know, because That's where the problem is, yeah, you know, because we're trying to fix everybody's problem in the same way in the same way, yeah. <laughs> which is one of that's one of the things that it like when you have systems like that and you take this like ready-made system and place it on like a state like Calabar that has matriarchal mm-hmm. cultures that has like matrilineal systems of governance um and then you put like it just it doesn't work and so governance in our part of the world may look a little bit differently because the structures like are not tailor-made to like i guess i i totally get that yeah and so having conversations around like how do we structure how do we yeah i also see the other side though of 
see what I mean the other side I see like the idea of having people representing you yeah over there and the idea that if everybody's voice is heard equally then you will all be part of the policies that are being made for mm-hmm. you not just policies by someone who just comes translated to you yeah and I can see how that can be really really problematic in cultures that are really different yeah and so that's that's the thing with governance is when we try to like take a western systems of governance and like flop them into a country that is not a western country and b when we take mm-hmm. the subsections of those systems of governance that have worked in one part of the country and and assume that even though we know that Good we're part. yeah even though we know that we're like non-homogenous these policies that have worked in Yoruba land will work in Igbo land or will work in Ibibio land. I think that that was one of the causes of um, Biafra and a lot of the disenfranchisement that minority tribes feel in Nigeria right now. Well, maybe. I, I can't speak for that, but I don't think that is the causes of Biafra. I feel like marginalizing people and thinking you know what's best for them is one of the problems, but I think Biafra's problem was so many more. Yeah, just, yeah, there was a lot of... It's, it's a power thing. It's more of, I want to dominate you. So when there is the issue of dominance, of course, there's always going to be someone resisting that. So I think the idea that this whatever works here should work there is not the issue alone there are other issues yeah when it comes to that yeah yeah not the issue so alone but one my, of them yeah i think from my side the things i would just like to reiterate that people can learn from nigeria's ability to coexist and learn from the other person like i don't think there are people in nigeria who don't understand like you you might not understand how we make yoruba food but you know what yoruba food looks like and you know which one you hate and which one you like. <laughs> Facts. <laughs> and exactly. And it comes from like learning from each other. And like I I'm not evil and I can tell you five evil dishes and I can tell you which ones I hate and which ones I don't like. Mm-hmm. Simple. Yeah. And so the ability to learn from each other, the ability to experience that new thing, you know, like I feel like the word is so caught up in wanting to be dominate the dominant person mm-hmm. and that's why we've like we've escaped and we've been trapped into this dynamic polarization where everybody wants to be the verse that is heard but like sometimes like you're just making noise shush so maybe one thing i will say the word can learn from nigeria is to listen to learn from others and see what you like and what you don't like and take what you like and leave what you don't and don't kill each other like literally coexist yeah i think also with that is being confident in your own identity so that when you're forced or when you are in the presence of people with other identities you don't feel one of two things you don't feel a that you have a lesser identity or B, you yeah. don't feel like you have to ad- adopt their own identities, you know? Yeah, um, and I think that's a common thread for Nigerians is that we are bo- we're so confident that we're borderline arrogant regardless of where that person is coming from. Like, that person can be coming from the minority tribe in Nigeria. They have so much confidence. They, they know who they are. Yeah. Like, there's that thing about Nigeria, I don't, I, and I don't mean to say it as a brag but i feel like maybe that's also the secret ingredient actually because we know who we are we're well aware of ourselves that we're not terrified of others or learning something else because you know you know who you are and you just walk into somewhere else literally when you see an insurance student in the university you can tell because they walk into the university like they run the place and i'm just like okay not a brother <laughs> yep yep it's so interesting. Yeah, we're very confident in who we are, what we bring to the table. Um, we're confident in ourselves. Therefore, we can step into like a spaces of different cultural identities and know that we bring our own and that that is powerful. Like that's a powerful gift to bring. Mm-hmm. But we can also learn about what other people are and like enrich to our learning. But we're not trying to like learn how other people are so that we become like other people. You know, like we're not trying to be like, oh, well... 
um, let me go learn how to cook this Yoruba meal so that I can say I'm Yoruba because I am not. You know? <laughs> because I'm, I'm we not. Don't do that. We, we don't, don't do that. Stuff like you have your stuff, I have my stuff. I love your stuff, but I'm not stealing. And I think that's also something the world can learn. Stop trying to make diversity a thing where you steal from others and erase them after you steal from. After them. you steal Talking from them. Talking to Britain. Talking to Britain right now. <laughs> An American white. Yeah, like the idea of oh, you know when, when when black people in the West create spaces that are black spaces, there is always that one white person that will be crying, but why am I not invited? Nigerians don't do that. You're like you're creating your space, good for you. Take your table, I can create my own table. Good. Exactly. Okay. It's like, like a oh, good table. I like it. But I I'm know. It's like let me go and do this. It's like literally, like I laugh about how many like. Yoruba Women's Association and Igbo Women's Association and Igbo First Born Women's Association and Igbo Second Born Women's Association. I'm just like, oh my God, there's so many. But even with that, there's no need to like, like nobody's being like, okay, well, I was excluded. Um, you know, like if you're excluded, you go and create your own. And the pe- person that excluded you is not coming here being like, now, why are you creating your own space? Because they recognize that their thing is not enough for you, you know, and yeah. Yeah, and I think that's maybe something that Nigeria can literally teach the world. Like, we literally just create our own spaces. Uh, and I think maybe that's also have to do with reaction to Nigeria's hostility as a country itself and the way we have been treated by our own space. Nigerians all over the world, I don't know wherever the person is, if they're coming from Nigeria, they will thrive, not because necessarily they come from money or necessarily they have everything solved, but because they have the willpower and mm. the strong head stubbornness of a Nigerian, the stubbornness <laughs> of a Nigerian. It's a stubborn spirit. Like they will be stubborn enough to make it. Yeah. And it, it's not coming as a competition to the other. It's coming as a challenge to ourselves. Like mm-hmm. Nigerians challenge themselves. Like why are they shutting the door in my face? I want to bolt that door down and mm-hmm. bring it down with a fierce face. And I understand that there are structural things in space and systems that are built against so many other identities across the world yeah. and that that also exists for Nigerians because immigrant Nigerians have a lot built against them and it's the idea of being an immigrant is also already a systemic oppression on its own and it's already a border on its own but it's just because you're coming from a place that you don't have the will to go back to you're like it's either I die here or I make it. And I know that's not a healthy mentality, but when you're coming from Nigeria and you've left Nigeria and you know how Nigeria is, like you're watching the debates of the presidency now and you're crying and laughing at the same time because you don't know which one is worse. <laughs> you don't know which one is worse. Your goal in life is to make sure that either you change that or you change yourself and you don't need to go back there. Yeah, and I think... I think think that's also, like, a very, like, that's also one way of being in Nigeria, you know? Like, one way of one perspective, because I think my, again, like, I just grew up in a very, in a lot safer of a place. So, like, my relationship to Nigeria is not necessarily, like, it's a place that I don't want to go back to because of its Would harshness. Would you want to go and live in Nigeria? I could. That's the thing. I could. Um, you were there last year. Should I remind you what conversation but, you Yes, but that wasn't, like, the microaggressions that I experienced the most was when I was actually in Abuja in, like, Hausa land. You know, like, that wasn't in my place. That wasn't in my city. That wasn't in my state. That wasn't in... in- so, like, I feel like, yeah, I, I totally hear you, but I feel like there are two types of... That- diasporas the ones who romanticize nigeria and the ones who know nigeria for what nigeria is yeah and i think i know yeah and i don't think that like knowing nigeria for what nigeria is um automatically always equals i could never live there at this point you know because i think that there 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 are safe spaces in nigeria there are like states that are very different there are communities and cultures that are very um affirming 
there are like me being in my village right now is actually like the ultimate vacation for me you know and my village is a very safe place it is a connection to people that i love it's it's probably not as physically safe because evil people are always trying to kill us um for land that's what i'm saying for land but it's also like all the things like people will try to kill you for land my parents land have been resold 500 times to different buyers and i'm just like can you people just not buy this land again again (laughs) again that's true you know but i think even with that like there are places within nigeria that i feel like are safe for me um and so like there is an experience of being nigerian which is like there are spaces within nigeria that are too hostile for certain people to live there are also spaces that are like and people and communities that are non-hostile um and while the culture itself may be crumbling i think i think of it much like living in america right like america itself is a very destructive space to be in um but i can create like little subcultures for myself that are very affirming and life-giving and and that almost take that away and that's something that I also have in Nigeria is like a sub community and a subculture that even when stuff is falling apart on a federal level, I'm safe and I'm taken care of and I'm supported. And I, you know, like there is a safety in the place that I live. And so like, yeah, I just, I guess, yeah, I, I I totally agree with that. Like all of that. I hear all of that. Yeah. For me, it's not like somebody's chasing me. So Nigerians don't come after me. Nobody's chasing me away from Nigeria. <laughs> if I want to go and live in Nigeria, I'll actually be living in Nigeria and be living my best life. Except for Nepal. And I hate the sound <laughs> of generators. So maybe that will not make me come back. But as a black... Well, in Nigeria, I'm not really black. So... <laughs> yeah. Also a perk. I think that there's, you know, like, there's there's give and take to both. There are things you have to sacrifice. Yeah, and as someone who is, like, very, very, there's give and take, definitely. But as someone who is very outspoken, who is very feminist, yeah. who is very queer, well, not very queer, I look straight to a lot of people, so, <laughs> identify politically as a will not live in Nigeria because of the systemic oppression. Yeah. Not because Nigeria is killing me. Like, yeah. Well, p- maybe it is. But, like, systemic oppressions that are towards women and the inequalities in gender, yes. But as a country itself, if I get a job in Abuja, I'm going. Bye-bye. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm really grateful that we can have this conversation and talk about, like, the the things that we love and want everyone to learn about, about being Nigerian, while also being honest about the fact that it's not a perfect place. Like, we don't romanticize the fact that it is a hard place to live and that some of the people that live there actually, in some ways, like, have to be a lot stronger and a lot more resilient than we have to be. Um, And, like... so many things. Yeah. But that that doesn't take away from the fact that there are so, so many ways that... The country itself is a really good teacher of diversity and inclusion and yeah and actually i forgot to say that when we talk about diversity the diversity of the country itself in terms of natural beauty mm. like living in kano was a mind fuck because it's amazing it's one of the biggest nigerian cities and then coming from ibadan one of the most populous nigerian cities and african cities and then like being from Lagos, that hosts 30 million people, <laughs> and, and literally like visiting the East, like my aunt lives in Port Harcourt. It's just literally like a country that is so different. Like you travel from one part of the country, and in literally from one city to the other, it's totally different geographically. Yeah. Different geographically, like literally there are mountains in Obo State, in Abelkuta, and then you move a little bit to Lagos and there is like the ocean and all of that and one of the beauties of it is actually how I see the diaspora present the message of beauty when it comes to natural you know the book of Tomi Adeyemi yeah the children of blood and bone the way she literally shows the beauty of Nigeria in that book even though she wasn't talking about Nigeria like it was a fictional country And she used Nigeria. She used like, real places, yeah. Exactly. She used real places, like talking about Ilori, talking about uh, Jemeta, talking about places that are so 
different mm -hmm. so beautiful and i'm just like we nigerians don't travel within our country enough and when that money drop i'm waiting for the i don't know where that money's coming from but when my when i secure the bag yeah i am taking all my people to uh cross like i think you're doing this thing with rivers right which is beautiful which yeah I think so, Thank you. But I'm taking everybody on the Nigerian tour. Like we're literally just gonna. I know. Also, this is one thing that I'm afraid of in Nigeria: security. But we're gonna hire a car and have big men next to us because in Nigeria you can survive when you have men that are big, especially Yoruba <laughs> kind of men. <laughs> so no policeman will come for your head. No people for bribe, especially if the big man looks Nigerian, Nigeria, not diaspora Nigeria, because they can tell. They can tell that you're that's where I like yeah no the worst kind of person to travel with is diaspora nigerian you just have to have the the biggest yeah just yeah, your just me. your bad demon i'm telling my white friends who want to go to nigeria with me like don't trust me with your life because i myself i'm not safe <laughs> <laughs> you can trust me me i'm safe i don't know my part of nigeria is, is mostly safe okay it today. is mostly Calabar. safe. Calabar. Can you see Calabar? Hey, Calabar. That was actually a song that we used oh, to sing. Can we promote the Calabar festival? It's always in December, no? It is. It is. So, if so, you want to go to Nigeria, December is the perfect time. But of course, British Airways know that and all the other airlines. So they're selling you tickets for 5000 Yeah, I know. One day we will talk about the way that airline companies are actually create like policies that separate families from each other by like heightened prices around the times that people can actually afford to go home one day we'll have a policy policy discussion about that but for yes, today sure. we'll just talk about how if you ever have some money to spare and want to go to Calabar, uh about on uh, from december, december 25th through 30th there's like a week-long festival actually schools in Calabar close november 30th because there's a month-long celebration for a carnival of the of celebrating the new year Calabar is like the place to be at the end of the year i love it so yes. much that is my hometown i can give you all the connects and if you don't like all the jagbazantis all the, the noise you can come to ibadan it's like the chillest place in nigeria it's because so there'll be chill. nothing to do in ibadan sir <laughs> all the cool people being Calabar is okay there'll be nothing to do in ibadan nothing okay, Thank you so much for listening, you guys. This has been an amazing episode, and we're so glad to be back and so glad to have conversations again with you all about the diversity of our own experiences. And hopefully we'll have some more ways to interact this month. Definitely stay on the podcast Instagram page. Send us an email about questions that you have that you would love for us to address. And our Instagram is Thrive Table Podcast because my friend here forget to say it. And Thank you. The Instagram. Look for it somewhere in the sky because you know Calabar <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Shade. Um, yes. Calabar girls are so pretty though. I just remember I went on a trip with my school to Calabar and I just remember Calabar girls and boys. We're so pretty back then. And boys. Calabar boys are worth nothing. Not a thing. You know, if you're looking for a Nigerian Anang men, that is the tribe of my father. I'm not just saying that because my father is an amazing person. But, like, I have heard repeatedly that the Anang men are the best lovers, okay? They are amazing. I did not hear that from my mom because that would be weird. But I have heard Calabar men are mostly just... This is why Calabar women always have, like, a, a side dude, a real dude, and like multiple baby fathers. Like Calabar wow. men are worth nothing. Like me right now. <laughs> hey, don't we have something about Jamaican men that? No, we're not gonna tell you all that about on this podcast. Like this? Why are you, you have you have to listen to another podcast episode to hear what we have to say about Jamaican men, white men, Nigerian men, but not this episode. Yeah. I just want to tell you that Yoruba demons are not existed. They're now called the Sweet Boys Association. Oh, I am tired. Yoruba people are sorry. <laughs> I am tired. Demons are joining. Doesn't the Bible say something about uh, uh, um, Satan masquerading himself as an angel of light? Of course. Okay. Yoruba demons. 
Você tá literally telling Jesus, for I'll give you this entire kingdom. Exactly. The kingdom that does not belong to him. That does not belong. That, you know, I'm not going to say that Yoruba man remind me of, of that, of that, but I will not not say that Yoruba man remind me of that. How about that? Uh, okay, I have a proud daughter of a Yoruba man mm. who is incredible, and Yoruba mm. men are sensible, they're mm. intelligent. Mm. I mean, see Wale Shoyinka, mm. see so many other people. That's like, I have black them. friends. See, there's one of them that's a good person. <laughs> Yes, that's what it sounds like. There's one that wasn't trash. Okay, there's two. Maybe two and a half. In the whole region. Thank you, Adiola, for pointing anyway, out the ones that are not trash. Tried. You too. Fix yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and we will see you again in two weeks. And stay in touch with us on social media and i think our next episode will be an interview a special podcast episode yeah so a special podcast episode trying to swipe things up and change things up like we'll have one episode where you hear the two of us and then we'll have an interview and then you hear us again so it's gonna be fun and i think also if you're doing something incredibly amazing and you are nigerian or african and you are in the diaspora or back on the continent and you want to reach out to us please email us at tribetable at gmail.com and or shout us on on instagram like we're always on instagram or we promise to be always be on instagram that's a different thing <laughs> <laughs> and actually our email is drivetable podcast at gmail see we fit each other so well because when your baguette cannot do this shit alone and a calabagia cannot cannot baguette. we we always need each other okay see nigerians we need each other <laughs> we want to interview okay i actually have this question if you're a nigerian awusa woman or man i think this podcast is not exclusive to women if you're a nigerian awusa person and you really want to let your voice be heard because we don't know a lot of you out there Email us, please, and we would like to interview you because I don't like speaking for outside people just because I lived once in my life there. Mm. <laughs> we would like to uplift your voice and just actually have the conversation because I actually, I find it so interesting. I've been living here for like a lot. I haven't seen outside person ever in the UK, Greece, or Germany, or anywhere that I've lived in Europe, and that is alarming. Yeah, so we'd love to conduct an interview for our next month's episode with a house of person. If you love a house of person, if you know a house of person in diaspora, connect them with us, Nigerian, and we would because it can be house from somewhere else. Yes, a house of Nigerian woman, preferably. We would love to have a conversation around the ways that I they. I take a man that is not patriarchal, which I think is impossible. So <laughs> again, house of Nigeria woman, because <laughs> that's going to be a really high standard. However, if you know one, shoot them to us. Thank you all for listening. Have a wonderful day. Catch you in a couple of weeks. Bye.